you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Father, as we unpack this word this morning, I pray that you would, by your spirit, dwells in each believer in this room, that you would give us understanding. Pray for your spirit's anointing and empowering, and you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. As we just continue to worship and give you thanks for the life that you've blessed us with. Amen. In this text, uh, in this section that is incredibly practical and that practicality is getting more and more intense because this practical section gets closer and closer to where I actually live. The problem is, along with being intensely practical, is this text is intensely Theological. Now, I'm just trying to figure out why the wedding couple are in the room. Stand up. Love you. I know why they're still here. Family's still here. They're plans this afternoon before they leave on their honeymoon. But hey, if I can call you two out any chance I get. Where was I? Yeah, a need to understand things. Uh, There's some important, deep theological truths in this section that we have to understand if we're going to get to the practical of what it looks like in my life. For example, something very basic we need to know to start with is when, when you become a Christian, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, a wonderful, miraculous change took place, takes place in your life. You become a new creature. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man, if any woman is in Christ, he, she is what? A new creature. Old things have passed away. They're dead. Behold, new things. Living things have come. Galatians 2.20 says something of the same. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. You died. 
He says, I've been crucified with Christ, but something strange is happening here because nevertheless, I live. But it isn't I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. You are a new creation in Christ. The Bible calls it newness of life. New things have come. The question that I'm left with is this. If I'm a new creature, if the old nature's dead, why do I still screw up? Why is it that there seems to be an area of my life that I don't find victory over? Something that I stumble over? And the answer lies, at least in part, in this. Though I am a new creature, though I am holy and blameless before God, the problem with me is that on this side of heaven, this new creature, I still have a coat of flesh wrapped around my new nature. You see, this flesh is still here. This body is still here. It's still living in accordance to the way it's been trained and influenced from the time I was born until I learn to rebehave or until the transformation that is true and real of me on the inside has a chance to seep out and impact the way I live on the outside. With that foundation, we need to dig into this text. But the only way to get to the practical of this text is to understand the theology in it. So we have to dig. There's three things we're going to unpack to understand this and grasp what Paul is saying. The first we need to understand is that a believer, as a believer, I'm a new creation. I'm a new, I have a new nature. My old is dead. The second thing I need to understand is, is this, that this, and this is where the exhortation begins to come to us in this section. That new nature calls me to a new lifestyle. It will cause me to change. We'll see this in verse 17, verse 22, and verse 24. I have a new nature. That new nature is going to call me to newness. Third principle that we need to understand is that that new lifestyle is set in motion by one thing, a new mind, a new will. Three things. A new nature leads to a new lifestyle. A new lifestyle is engaged or set into motion by a new mindset. Point number one, as a believer, I'm a new creation. Okay? A new nature. The old is dead. I think we've already beat that horse to death. So let's go on to the second point. Turn to your neighbor and say, that is the shortest point ever. And either he's becoming better at preaching or I'm better at listening. Go ahead. Now, in response, just shrug and go maybe somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Point number two, our new nature calls us to a new lifestyle. Huh, there's the receipt I was looking for. Believer, because you are a believer, there are going to be some things that you do differently than you did before you were a believer. This whole thing started, you remember, chapter 4, verse 1. The exhortation was this. If you want to walk a worthy walk, if you want to make your practice, your outward self, equal to your spiritual identity of who you are in Christ, you're going to have to make your practice 
equal with your position. Make your practice, your life, equal to who you are. Make your lifestyle equal to your nature. How? First step in dealing with making sure my practice is equal to my position is I need to change my attitude. He says to us, you know, instead of being proud and arrogant, I'm going my own way. I I need to exhibit humility. I need to walk humbly. I need to walk gently. I need to walk a patient walk. I need to walk a meat walk. That all starts with an attitude from an inner dimension. That's Ephesians 4 verse 2. Who I am in Christ, my character, my inner self, is is more important than the things I do in ministry, my religious activity. Do we understand that? Because I can do a lot of external religious activity and have no internal reality. Remember that. Who I am on the inside, humble, meek, Gentle, those kind of internal qualities are more important than what I might do. Now, I want you to catch what happens in verse 17. Paul is saying, again, this is getting more and more practical, more and more specific. It's as though he steps back and says, listen, who I am is more important than what I do, but what I do is important as well. What I do is important as well. Verse 17. So I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It's really interesting to me the way he approaches this. In chapter 4, verse 1 and following, he starts out by giving us this positive example. You want to walk a worthy walk? Here's how you do it. He says, do this, do this, do this. How do you do it? Walk in humility. Let your life be like a gentle breeze. Be patient. Be meek. This time, he takes a negative approach. He says, I'm not going to tell you what I want you, you know, in your life should do. He says, what I want to tell you is what you shouldn't do. I don't want you to be like the Gentiles and how they live their lives. Now, In this context, this term Gentile, he is not referring specifically to a race of people. He is referring to, in this context, when he says the Gentiles, he's referring to the world. Those who are not believers. The world's lifestyle. The world's way of thinking. Paul says, what I want you to do is not walk the way the world walks. How is a believer supposed to live their life, to walk? Paul's answer is, not like them. What kind of walk are we to have? He says it's supposed to be a different kind of walk. Doesn't seem very specific, does it? Seems kind of vague, too general. However, if you begin to ponder it, if you begin to contemplate, if you begin to meditate on this passage, this exhortation where it looks like on face value, Tim, here's how I want you to walk. I want you to walk not like them. Well, if you think about this for a little bit, pray about it a little bit, suddenly it becomes 
very specific, very personal, because what he's really saying is this. Believer, what I want you to do, real simple. I want you to look at the world, and I want you to look at what they think is important. I want you to look at the world, and I want you to look at what they value. I want you to look at their priorities. I want you to look at their goals and their motives. I want you to look at how they define joy and happiness. I want you to look at their definition of fulfillment. And I want you to look at their definition of of, of all of those things. And then you know what I want you to do? I want you to take a 180-degree turn and go another way. Because what they're calling joy is not what we call joy. And what they call fulfillment is not where you find true fulfillment. Look, watch, understand, and do it a different way. Take a good look. The world exalts pride. We're called to humility. The world Man, you don't have to watch more than one news cycle. The world is fragmented. We are called to unity. Same news cycle. The world is wrapped up in hate. And we are called to love. Consider, the world is out for number one, and we are called to serve with the ministry of the towel. The world is grabbing all it can get for themselves, but we are called to give it away. The world is dead. You've been made alive. How are we to walk? Different. A new nature is going to call you to a new lifestyle. Good news. I'm convinced of, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. He will mature you. He'll do it through his word, by his spirit, in community with other believers. God can and will lead you into a lifestyle that will bring him honor and glory if you're sensitive to his spirit's leading in your life. And I'm sure it'll look different for you than it does for me. Okay, a new nature calls for a new lifestyle. Off with the old, on with the new. Question, how? How do I engage all that? How do I, how do, I do that? Because the new lifestyle is never going to take place unless something extremely important happens. Point number three, a new lifestyle is energized by a new mind. By the way, when I say mind, you can think of will, a new kind of will. It's an act of my will that allows this new nature to translate itself into how I live. It's all about the choices I make. Verse 17, we have the word thinking. Verse 18, we have the word understanding and ignorance. Verse 20, the word know. Verse 21, taught, thought. Verse 23, mind. The point is this, you live different when you think different, when you change your mind, when you have an act of your will towards, that's what brings about change because you live differently. Verse 20, Paul says, 
You did not come to know Christ that way. Even your salvation was a change of your mind, a change of your attitude towards God. You changed your mind about it was okay with how your life was. You changed your mind about you were okay with or you thought God was okay with you. You changed your mind about Christ. You changed your mind about the way you live, the direction you were going. All of those things, choices you made. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Do you know predominantly where the battle of spiritual warfare is fought? In your head. In the mind. It's a battle between the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, the lies of what people told you about yourself, lies of what you were told what was true, experiences in your family, life events. It's a battle between those lies and the truth of how God reveals himself in his word. It is a truth encounter. That's what spiritual warfare is. Life says you're a loser, or the truth says I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Key verse in all this, Ephesians 4, 23, be made new, be renewed by the Spirit in the attitude of your mind. Need a new mind. Notice, verses 17 through 19 offer this graphic illustration of a, man, of a mind without control of the new nature. The thing that's scary about this is, now this is really important to catch, he's talking to believers here. He's talking to you and me. And he's warning believers that there are things that need to be removed from our lives, meaning this, that these kinds of characteristics could sometimes be cloaking a believer who has been made new on the inside but it's not evident from those observing their life. First thing about a mind without control is found in verse 17. Paul says, don't live like the Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking, in the futility of their minds. The word futility means useless. Simply put, their thinking is useless. Useless thinking, that's what futility is. It's their thinking, it's their desires, their whims, their philosophies. It's human opinion. It's what it's all about. Another characteristic of a mind controlled without control is seen in verse 18. Darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What I want you to look at here for a moment is the phrase being darkened. And I hope you can follow this. In the Greek tense, the idea here is an action took place in the past. And that, it, that event, those events, has results that impact the future, come into the future. Something that happened in the past that then impacts the future. As I study this, what, it, what it's talking about is this action in the past is, is a judicial decision, an act 
by God on behalf of someone. Now, at first glance, that's pretty troubling. It sounds like, and what it is, it, 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 there's this point, there are times when God acts and it leads to a darkening of the mind. Something happened in the past and a darkening of the mind takes place in the future. Now that bothers me. I want you to watch the cycle here. Being darkened in their mind, their understanding, unable to understand who God is all about, what Christianity is all about, excluded from the life of God. How did that happen? Well, it tells us right in the verse. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Well, how did that happen? It tells us that too. Because of the hardness of their hearts. What happens is this. They harden their hearts. A person says no to God. And they say no again. And they say no again. And they say no again. And what happens, the result of that is, is they become ignorant of the truth. Ignorance of the truth results in an exclusion, a pushing away, a dismissing of God. And after a while, there comes a point where God just basically says, okay, if that's the direction you want to go, you can go. Next phrase, end of verse uh, chapter 4, verse 18, the hardening of their hearts. The, the word in the Greek there describes a stone that is harder than marble. Now, that word is used medically in situations where the stiffening of the joints, a joint becomes so stiff and it's not used and, and it becomes even stiffer and we don't use that. We have this limp and that starts affecting other things that the limb becomes even stiffer to the point where that joint doesn't even work anymore. And finally, it's just set right there, immovable. Do you have that picture? There's a hardening that became harder and harder with rejection after rejection after rejection. And after a while, it becomes seemingly impossible to respond. And the truth no longer makes any indentation on a person's life. John 12 Verses 37 through 39, scary verses. Jesus was performing signs and wonders, and it says this, that they did not, they, excuse me, it says they would not believe. Later it says this, they could not believe. This is what happens with the hardening of someone's hearts. They went from they would not to they could not. Ephesians 4.19, even scarier. And they, having become callous, hardening of their hearts, move past feeling, they don't feel anything anymore. It says they have lost all sensitivity. Through psychological game-playing, rationalization, transferring of blame and shame on others, eliminating immorality altogether, they just don't feel anymore. 1 Timothy 4.2 says this, they're conscious Conscience has become seared as with a hot iron. It is closed up, callous, beyond feeling. I 
I don't know about you, but that just makes me understand what's going on in our culture now on so many levels. At the end of verse 19, chapter 4, having become callous, losing all sensitivity. Remember, earlier when we talked about God giving them over, verse 19, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Definition or description of this kind of person is this. He has a disposition of the soul that is incapable of bearing the pain of discipline. Don't talk to me. I don't care anymore. That is to say, he or she, undisciplined, uncontrolled, it's unblushing obscenity. This is really crazy stuff. And what I mean by that is this person keeps going further and further and further, trying as hard as they can to shock people, embarrass people. If they get arrested, they wouldn't care. That would just be another badge. Hey, did you hear what I got arrested for, what I was doing last night? This is the person who says, Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I like being a sinner. I... I work real hard at being the best sinner that I can be. Till they have no mind at all. I guess a graphic picture. I also think that's what Paul meant, what it meant it to be. And then in verse 20 of chapter 4 and following, Paul throws on the brakes. He says, believer... What do you have to do with any of that? What have you to do with any of that? You're a new creation. You've been made alive. You've been made new. You've been made redeemed. You're holy, blameless. Why would you imitate what is dead? The way you've been walking, you've clothed your outer man in such a way that you don't look any different than the world. Here's the key. What's on the inside, that new nature can only become real on the outside by an act of your will, by a choice of your mind, to say, God, I'm going to allow you to change me. Application. I don't think it's a stretch in this size of a crowd that there are some people here today that I want to say to you, the thing that you need to hear is you need to change your mind. The truth is you may think you know Christ, but you don't know him at all. I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home. I don't care if you go to a Christian college or a Christian school. We're being inundated today in the church with all sorts of messages that sound kind of right that don't line up with Scripture at all. Listen, Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. There's only one way. You may need to change your mind about that, about what you think. Now, you can scoff at that all you want, but what you need to do is change your mind. You need to change your mind that Jesus Christ really is relevant today. You need to change your mind that he's not just some obscure thing or philosophy or some person back there in history. The only way that we can have peace, the only way that I can see the reversal of a hardness and callousness of my mind is I need to change my mind. But you know what? The text is really, again, you might be thinking of friends, family members. He's talking to believers. He's calling us to let go of some things that have a hold of our lives that we've decided is okay. What is it for you that he wants you to change your mind about? This is where you get engaged. You have to apply this. What is it for you? What is it in your life that the Holy Spirit is saying you need to strip that off? Bitterness? Strip it off. Anger? Wrath? Strip it off. Malice? Unforgiveness? Slander? What is it for you? Maybe there's even some here who are in their minds kind of waltzing with the world. There were... Judy and I have a really good relationship with the 20 and 30-somethings back in Bartlett. I'm so excited that, I mean, these, these are like here, people who grew up in the church and, and they didn't check out, they didn't leave. But as they were figuring out faith for themselves, I'm grateful that we had the relationship with them, that we could challenge them because literally what I saw them doing was, well, just how close to the edge of the world can I be and still be okay? I'm like, what game are you playing? Who are you trying to impress? What is the point of that? Why is it a big deal? Hear what Paul said. You want to know how to walk? Not like that. I'm not going to tell you what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But I can tell you this. Spiritually, if it stinks, you need to take it off. You need to strip it off. Here's what else you need to do. You need to do it today. You need to start today. You need to decide today because if you say no today, what does that lead to back in the text? A hardening of your heart. Every time you say no, 
It's a hardening. It's a stiffening. That's why really when you deal with the issue of lordship, I think the thing that I need to walk in as a Christian is I surrender. You're right. I'm wrong. And then whenever we disagree, you're right. I'm wrong. If I don't settle the lordship issue, then I just always fight. I always argue. And likely, often that argument will end with me saying no. You say no long enough, you don't hear them anymore, right? Even for the believer, there can be hardness. Dimensions, a lifestyle of something that is less than honoring to God. You know what this whole thing is about? Being humble. It's about letting the Lord bring brokenness into our lives. Coming to the end of myself. We have all sorts of reasons. Everybody does. We surround ourselves with reasons for why I do what I do. But it's times like this that I need to humble myself and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, search my heart. See if there's something in my life that you want to deal with. And as he reveals it to you, I suggest you start with this. I can't even begin to change that. Because it's not about you changing it. It's about saying it out loud and confessing it and saying, Lord, now I need you by the power of the Spirit to remove this, to change me. I want to engage with you. I want to be the same person out here that you've already made me in here. I cannot do that on my own. Supernatural transformation from the inside out. Can somebody say amen? Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. I'm going to pray, and then if you need to leave, go ahead. If you can stay, uh, do that. Uh, I just just come up over and over again in our small group and Sunday school class. And um, you're, you're mistaken if you think I'm a Christian and I, even I'm walking in obedience that everything's great and smooth. That is a lie. Life is hard. God didn't make the hard thing in your life, but he'll use the hard thing in your life if we let him. When the hard thing happens, when it feels like God isn't even near, it's just like the fire being turned up to burn off the impurities. Because when life happens, that's usually when the real stuff in my life comes up, right? Comes flying out of my mouth. Whoa, where did that come from? You. God just brought it to your attention. And he wants to change you. Don't try to go at it alone, though. You'll be really frustrated. Really discouraged. And you'll just end up being the same. Let's pray. Father, I have no idea how people heard this, received this. I just share my heart because what um, I know it's your calling on my life to do, but more than that because um, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ and 
Father, I know that you desire to conform us into the image of your Son. I know, too, that we play a part in that by agreeing with you in what you want to do in our lives. I pray that by your grace and mercy and by the Spirit speaking truth to us that we would choose to humble ourselves before you and allow you to take the next step in our lives, whatever it is, to conform us more into the image of your Son. Help us to say yes and to trust you for the change. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.